what I was saying is that when we think about Christian living, when we think about our Christian journey, a lot of times as I hear people talking about Christian living, they, they talk about it in terms of loss. If you're ever witnessing to somebody, one of the things that often happens is that um, if they're considering following Jesus, one of the things that happens is that the, one of the reasons why they may not want to follow Jesus is because they're worried or scared about what they might have to give up. And, and when, they're, when they're in this state of mind, a lot of times whatever it is that they're asked to give up in comparison to following Jesus that they're weighing that on a scale and it, it doesn't even out for them. I mean, think about it. Of course, I'm using an extreme example. But think about if you're trying to minister to a man who is uh, smoking pot every day to deal with his anxiety. He's living with his girlfriend. And he has a job as a bouncer at an uh, irreputable establishment. I made that pretty PG there, right? Giving his life to Jesus means a lot. It means giving up everything that's going on in his life. Isn't this what we looked at last week? Isn't this what happened with the rich young ruler? This is, as Jesus was confronting this man and as Jesus was loving this man, and Jesus looked at him and said, hey, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have and come and be following me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he was very wealthy. The scales didn't tip in the favor of Jesus. Have you been there? At various times in my Christian journey, I've been there. I remember in college, one of the things that was holding me back from, from really living out what I felt like that God had for me in my life was this whole idea of that it might cost more than I'm willing to give. Before we get to our text this morning, I do want to jump back over to the book of Mark. And there was something that last week that we... We missed or I didn't have enough time to really spend on it. But I want to draw your attention back in the book of Mark. Jesus had just gotten done kind of teaching them, you know, with God, all things are possible. You know, the rich young ruler had went away sad and Jesus is going after the idols of their heart. And then in verse 28, we have Peter speaking up. And here's what Peter says. Peter began to say to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. And in this moment, as, as Peter says this, Jesus leans in and Jesus encourages Peter. Jesus encourages his disciples. And listen to what Jesus says. And I think there's something here that we often miss. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Isn't it fascinating that in this text, 
one of the things that we hear is that Jesus is saying, it is worth it, disciples, you following me, because the gifts that I'm giving you. And do you find it fascinating and strange in this list? We have mothers and brothers and sisters. What in the world is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the reorienting effect of following Jesus that when we give our lives to Jesus, one of the gifts that He gives us, one of the many gifts, but one of the gifts that He gives us is each other. That you are saved, you are brought into a community to where you have brothers and sisters and mothers and children around you. And that this is a gift from God. This gift of one another is meant to encourage us. It's meant to walk with us. It's meant to edify us. You know, if you have been here very long, especially if you're one of the old timers of Single Mountain Bible Church, you've heard often Gary say this very true statement that God gives us three things to grow us. That's the word of God over us, the spirit of God inside of us and the people of God around us. And I wonder, I wonder, do we view church this way? Do we view the people of God around us as a gift, as a good gift from God? Now, let's look at our text this morning. In Galatians we see this gift at work. Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. If anyone is caught in a, any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. One of the ideas in this text is, is what we would call like in Christianese, in Christian language, would be called like yoking up. That we're coming alongside one another. That we're, we're bearing burdens. That we're coming under that weight with one another. And that we're walking with one another. And everybody who is following the Lord, everybody who is trying to live the Christian life, understands that as Christians we're not immune to burdens, are we? And burdens come in many shapes and sizes. There are some of us this morning that are facing difficulties, facing burdens. Maybe that there are some financial burdens. Maybe there are things that are going on at work that are burdening you. Maybe there's family stuff. Maybe there's things going on with your kids that is burdensome to you. Maybe kids, there are things that are going on with your parents that are burdensome to you. There are many, many burdens in the Christian life. And we are called as the family of Christ to walk along with one another, displaying the love of Christ to one another, bearing these burdens with one another. And, and I just want to say one thing. In many ways here at Single Mountain Bible Church, we do a pretty good job with the bearing with as far as like giving of our stuff and of our money and of our time. 
But sometimes I think we struggle when it comes to sitting down in the messiness with people. We struggle there. It's hard. It's not easy. A lot of times we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to fix. We don't know how to help. And this text complicates it a little bit more. This text isn't talking about just any burden. Hear me. I said we are to be bearing burdens together. Broadly. All of the burdens in Christian life. This text, did you notice, singles out one burden. In verse 1, it tells us, is if anyone is caught in sin. Is anyone has been caught in sin. Is being weighed down by sin. That we are to bear that burden with them. We are to be a people who come alongside and bear that burden in an attempt to restore that individual. So that if somebody in our midst is is caught in an adulterous relationship, if somebody in our midst is caught in, in, in in a pattern of gossip, if somebody in our midst is caught in a matter of where they have uh, irreputable business behaviors, if somebody in our midst is caught in the trap of pornography, what this text is telling us is that God has given us one another to come alongside each other to bear that burden. And this is a radical concept, isn't it? How do we like to do church? Is this the first thing that you think about when you come to the gathering on Sunday mornings? See, I think a lot of times the way we do church is that we, we want to come in. We want to hear teaching. We want to be fed. We want to give pleasantries. And we want to go about our business. We don't want someone to get too close to us. We don't want people to see the ugliness. We don't want people to see the hardships. This text is a radical concept. It goes against our very sin nature, doesn't it? That the first thing that happened in the garden when Adam and Eve fell and when Adam and Eve sinned is that they went and did what? They covered themselves and they hid. We have evolved way beyond that, right? The goal here, just like Matthew 18 where God where Jesus lays out a pattern of of restoration. The goal here, and the goal in Matthew 18, is the restoration of the one that's caught in sin. And, And just like as Jesus taught in Matthew 18, we are taught by Paul here that one of the functions of the body of believers, one of the functions that we are to serve in the church is to to go after and restore people who are caught up in sin. 
And the goal here, my goal this morning, is to shake us from any temptation to just play church. And that we would rise above that and that we would be a people who are the church. And being the church is messy. It's counterintuitive. It's hard work. It means putting yourself out there. It means doing things that you're not comfortable doing. It's messy. God is calling us into these relationships where we can bear with one another and help one another in our journey in this world. And some of you this morning are saying, not me. I've heard so many people use these type phrases when they're looking at these type texts. They're saying, oh, all right, Lewis, listen to me. That's not who I am. I am a live and let live kind of person. You have your fence, I have mine. Whatever goes on on your side of the fence is your business. And in some ways, that, that sounds great. But my prayers this morning, that we would see how unloving that is. How unloving that is. I mean, can you imagine that someone in the midst of our congregation, in the midst of our body, who is involved in something that can ruin them, that can ruin their family, that can ruin their witness, and that we would sit by on the sideline and say, you do you. Even the notion, even the notion that we could sit back and push back and to watch that happen to a brother or sister in the Lord is evidence that there's something wrong inside of us. Is evidence that the, that the evil one and his messages have maybe taken hold in our life and that we're believing things that we ought not believe about our role as brothers. And sisters. If I allowed for it this morning. We could all give an example. Of somebody in our life. That we love that we cared about. That was involved in a pattern of sin. That we were willing to just watch. And it cost them everything. And I pray, I pray that we will not be that type of people. And the question that I'm asking you this morning is, are you willing to love someone so much with a risky type of love that it takes you to this uncomfortable place where God might use you to restore a brother or sister. 
Most churches have some way of dealing with sin. Most, not all. Sometimes I think what churches are guilty of is that somebody's caught in sin and we send the muscle after them. You know what I mean by that? That we, you know, this whole idea of, you know, if, if we were a mafia and somebody wasn't doing what they were supposed to, that we send somebody out there to kind of rough somebody up to whoop them into shape. Because that's not what we do around here. So in churches, sometimes that we have people that are very bold and they're very outgoing, very straightforward. I'm going to use the word can be harsh. And so that you have a brother in sin and then we send somebody out to them that just kind of reads them the riot act. And that's what this scripture is talking about, isn't it? Restore such a one in the spirit of what? Gentleness. Again, Matthew 18, Jesus says, if someone is in sin, you go to that brother, and if they repent, you have won a brother. The goal is restoration. The goal is is gentleness. The goal is love. And I want you to hear me straight. I am all about intervening. That's what this sermon is about. But many times the way we intervene is out of anger, is out of frustration, is out of tiredness, and it's not out of gentleness and love. And sometimes the way that we attempt this is is all wrong. You know, I'm going back to last week. Remember what we started with last week, week with the rich young ruler is that Jesus looked at this man, he loved him, and then he confronted him. And I'm going to rip this completely out of context, so just hear me out. I'm going to claim that this is a proof text that you don't go after one that is caught in sin over text message or phone call or email, but you look at him eyeball to eyeball. Recently, I had a friend who, if the allegations were true or was in a, was in a very difficult spot that he had put himself in with sin. And so I called him on the telephone because I wanted to show that I loved him and I, but I also wanted, he, he, we had a great relationship. I wanted him to, you know, I wanted to be this guy in his life that could gently restore him. And I called him on the phone and he said, the first word to me was, I'm in the airport, what do you want to know? And at the beginning, I got frustrated by that. How could he say that to me? And as I've, been, as I've been studying this week, and as I've been looking at this text, I see the error in my own life that some of this technology is great, but at times we need to put the stuff away, and I needed to be eyeball to eyeball with my friend so that he could see, he could see that I was coming to him in love. So this text tells us to come in gentleness. Now, if you're reading this text, you may be saying, all right, yes, Lewis, but there's an exception clause in this text, and I'm taking the exception clause. Do you know what many people say the exception clause in this text is? It says, you who are spiritual. And so you're thinking, that's right. I believe in this text, Lewis. You who are spiritual do this work. 
I am not the preacher, you are. I know who the elders are. I know who we've nominated for the WMT. They are the spiritual ones. They are the ones that do this work, and I'll be praying for you. You may even be saying, hey, look, I'm not even in the top ten of spiritual people of Single Mountain Bible Church. you're sitting there this morning, you may be saying, I'm just one of the ordinary church folk. Is there such a thing as an ordinary church folk? God sent his son to die upon the cross To take your sin to the grave. To rise again. And if we, to be a part of the church, it means that we have put our faith and our trust in Him for our salvation. And He is so good and He is so loving that if we put our faith and trust in Him, He brings us into His family. But it doesn't end there, does it? That we begin this process of Him conforming us into His Son. We call that sanctification. That God is at work in us. It's producing something. There is an active love in us that is doing something. And this book of Galatians is is just full of this story. And you may say, yeah, Lewis, but I, you know, I don't always know what it's doing. You know, these verses tell us. Did, did you see in verse 2, there's an odd phrase here. That we're to be bearing one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so the question we should have as we're reading the Bible is, what is the law of Christ? And... How do we figure it out? Do we just make it up? Do we think about Jesus and say, oh, that must be the law of Christ? It helps to read the rest of the letter, right? And in chapter 5, verse 14, notice this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you and I, Christian have been saved into a family, and God is at work in you, and He is doing something. He is conforming you to be like His Son, and that we are to be about fulfilling the law of Christ, which means to love our neighbor. And again, you still may not be convinced, and you're like, Lewis, you don't know who I am. You don't know uh, what's going on inside of me. And so let's just take a really brief survey. In Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. And if we were to keep reading, we we would see that Paul tells us that the way that this happens in our life is that God has given us His Spirit. 
And the Spirit is active in us. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then three verses later, I say to you, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 18. You are led by the Spirit. You are led by the Spirit. And we see that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian because a Christian, by definition, has the Spirit of God living inside of them and that Spirit inside of them is doing something. It's conforming you to His Son. That Spirit is alive and active inside of us. This is not about elite Christians. It's not about ultra-learned Christians. It's not about the Christians that raise their hand in the worship service. It's not about the Christians that attend more regularly than you do or who are here at every event. Being spiritual, you who are spiritual, are those who are walking according to the Spirit. Now, notice the posture. I love this. I just love these verses. Notice notice that those who are attempting this work, those who are fulfilling the calling that God has for us in the the body life of the church, in the body life of, of believers, notice the posture that we are to walk in. Again, in verse 1 at the end, isn't this odd? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And then verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Do you see what's going on here in this text? Do you see the attitude that we are to have when we are going after someone who has fallen into sin? We're going there with the attitude, with the knowledge... This could be me. We're not standing over that person in judgment. We are in love going after that person, knowing that only but by the grace of God. We need to all be aware. Right situation. Let me rephrase that. Wrong situation, wrong circumstances. You could be right there. The reality, the reality in our Christian walk is this. God is calling broken, hurting people to love broken, hurting people. And that we are to be about going and restoring brothers and sisters. I I have quoted this 
this line. It was on the, this was the title of some cassette tapes, and I didn't listen to all the cassette tapes, but I love the title of them. And it talked about the victorious limp. That as Christians, we have a victorious limp. That we are victorious because of the work of Christ, but while we are in this world, that we're all a little broken and, and maimed and beat up. And that as we're going through this world, that one of the things we do is that we are broken people, journeying along with broken people. We are broken people that are uh, helping other broken people heal. There's another thing about this text that, ashamedly, uh, it took me several days to kind of understand what in the world was going on. Look down at verse 5. Doesn't this verse seem very contradictory? If you're reading this text, doesn't it seem really contradictory? For each one will bear his own load. Doesn't make any sense. Wait a minute, we're supposed to bear one another's burden, but each one's supposed to bear their own load. What is this? Is this like about taking personal responsibility? What, what is this about? And a good friend helped me here, and I went to some other resources, and as I shouldn't have doubted him, he was right. That in this text, the, the word for for the word for burden in verse 2 is not the same word for load in verse 5. So it's, it's, it's not a parallel, like, hey, you've got to bear your own sin, like we're talking about up in verse 1 and 2. The, the load that it's talking about, that you have to bear your own load, is that you have to bear your own responsibility in being a member of the family of God. You have to bear this responsibility you've been called to, to bear one another's burdens. This is Paul doubling down on this idea of what we are to be about. And so now the chaos begins, right? Some of you are already on Amazon trying to order books about how can I help people? How can I get equipped? Eight quick skills I need to know how to help someone who's caught in sin. Maybe you're online thinking about, okay, I need to go to a counseling program. What's the goal? What's the goal when you're walking alongside someone and you're bearing with someone? What's the goal? Is the goal to help them kind of clean up their life so that they can become a so that they can look good back when they come in amongst us. My dad, who is one of my heroes, uh, used to have this quote. Um, it's, it's funny, some of the quotes I use for my dad, because they sound harsh, but he's the nicest, most loving man that you've ever met, and nobody ever takes him as being harsh. But he used to criticize um, some men's groups, and one of the things that he would call them is sin management programs. You guys are just meeting together to try to manage your sin. The goal is not to have a cleaner, better version of yourself. The goal in bearing with someone is not to give them tips on how to have a better life. The goal of bearing with someone is to take them to the foot of Jesus. Where does our help come from? 
So the goal is to sit. It's to pray. It's to point. Will you be that gift? Will we be the church? Will we commit ourselves to live in such a way? So that when we interact with one another and when these things have to take place. That our reaction would be, I would give up anything to be a part of that. Now. Sometimes. Sometimes. I, I, I am a person who is uh, like Mr. Organic, not when it comes to food. I mean, that's great, too. Organic food is great. Do, do your thing. But, but I'm, I, I have always been a little bit of a rebel heart at heart, and I have always kind of resisted structures and programs and, and things like that to some degree. But you know, one, is the thing, one of the things that I have grown in as I, I have gotten older is that sometimes you need structure and sometimes you need programs. And so one of the reasons that we have things at this church like growth groups, like Titus 2, men's fire groups, is to put us in proximity with one another so that we can become involved in each other's lives. And I think these are good, fine, healthy structures. And so one of the things, because of the nature of, of culture and the nature of this day and age, is that you know if, if all we do are coming in here and going on Sunday mornings, a lot of times it's difficult. You know, we may not even know that you're struggling. We may not even know that there's a sin area in your life. And, and so, so that has to be rearranged. It has to be changed. And this is just, these are just one, several paths that you can go down to foster healthy relating. Another thing is that sometimes when you're trying to bear someone's burdens, you may come in contact with something that's, that feels too big. That's one of the reasons that at the Bible church here that we have invested in things like Stephen ministry. There's a billboard right out here. And I'm just going to read out of the brochure. A Stephen minister is a child of God who walks beside someone who is hurting. A congregation member who is carefully selected to serve in this role because of his or her caregiving gifts. A lay person with hours of training. A caring Christian friend who listens, cares, prays, encourages. Someone who meets faithfully each week with his or her care, care receiver as long as there's a need. And so one of the things I would say is that maybe you're struggling or maybe you're walking with someone that you're involved with in this church and you think that they need just a little bit more. One option is to point them to a Stephen minister. And this morning... You're going to get to hear uh, a story of God redeeming. And part of this story you're going to hear is men walking alongside of a man to, to help and to encourage, followed by an announcement. 